This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 169 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. And if you follow me on Twitter, you might have seen something I recently retweeted from SiriusXM's uh, NBA account. It was a snippet of a phone call from Bob Cousy, who, mind you, is 93 years old. And you might remember a few weeks ago, during a debate on ESPN, J.J. Reddick claimed that Bob Cousy matched up against plumbers and firemen. Well, that didn't sit well with me at all, and I talked about that on a recent episode. Um, I thought Cousy was pretty respectful in his response while still getting his point across. He said, People with less talent will always try to make a name for themselves by criticizing other people and hopefully getting some attention and perhaps increasing their credibility. So when you respond to something like this, you play into their hands. I won't do that, but I will defend the firemen and the plumbers that he referenced. And he then proceeded to name off some of the greats of his generation, including Bill Russell, uh, Wilt Chamberlain, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Oscar Robertson, among others. And he then concluded... We must have had the best firemen and plumbers on the planet at the time. I was very proud to play with all of them. Uh, kudos to 93-year-old Bob Cousy for uh, his willingness to come on. And then kudos to the guys at Sirius. I've, I know I've criticized some of their afternoon content before because, uh, quite frankly, it's terrible. But uh, someone from one of the other shows had the presence of mind to say, Hey, Bob Cousy's still alive. Let's call him up and see what he thinks about this. And then on the flip side, ESPN's bringing people like Pat Beverly on to, you know, make stupid takes that they can then react to throughout the course of the day on their own shows. Um, They're generating news, right? That's just lazy content. There's no reason for these outlets to have to manufacture their own news. There's plenty of stuff going on in sports. Let that serve as a reminder that in 2022, there's plenty of content out there, both good and bad. Uh, That goes for sports, news, the hobby, whatever. You have the ability to seek out and choose what you want to consume. And that's what you've done today. So I want to thank you for listening. Uh, I spent a lot of time this week piecing this together, as I do every week. Uh, That doesn't mean every segment will resonate with you, but uh, it won't be for lack of trying. So with that being said, today's episode is going to take on a similar format. I want to talk about a few pieces of mail from the last week or two. As usual, I've got another installment of Collector Classifieds. And then I'm going to close today by looking back at my 2022 goals. Uh, And when I say looking back, no, we're not, obviously we're not done with the year, but we are getting close to the halfway mark. And this is something I didn't do the last time I set goals, or at least I don't remember myself doing. I don't know. These last two years have just merged together for me. 
But um, I figure now is as good a time as any to gauge my progress and adjust goals as needed. Chances are you might benefit from a similar exercise, so you want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Okay, on to the mail. I've talked quite a bit about my refractor binder lately, which has been somewhat of a recent project, but a few years before I started that one, I created a gold refractor binder that I've been piecing together ever since. And similar to the base refractor binder, it's got a combination of um, Topps Finest, Topps Chrome, Prism, Optic, and so on. And one of those that I just mentioned there was Topps Chrome. And even though that product has been around since 1996 for basketball, um, the gold refractors were made from 2003 to 2009 with a short hiatus in 2007. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in 07. I'm actually going to cover that in a later episode. I think I'm going to do a Topps Chrome episode later on. But um, I picked up a couple big ones, talking about golds, in the last year or two, including both of Reggie Miller's golds, which were 03 and 04. Um, And then additionally, I finished the team sets for 2004 and 2005 in the last year. Um, I think I've talked about those on previous mail segments. So that left me with 03, 06, 08, and 09, respectively. Uh, Well, for 2003, the only card I had left was Jermaine O'Neal. And there's 99 of these things out there. It's not like Prisms where there's just 10. So it, it seems like a card that's always been available because really for the, it, it really has been. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why I was never in a hurry to grab one. Well, fast forward a little bit to when um, I acquired my second to last card, which was the Reggie Miller, and the Germains all but disappeared. And then there was one on eBay for 65. Uh, I refused to pay that much. It got relisted like five times. I made offers. They they didn't even get responded to. You know, why have best offer if you're not going to respond? They were fair offers too, by the way. You know, they weren't super lowball. Um, anyway, I sent this guy messages even. It, nothing, nothing. Um, so the seller, you know, he, like I said, he never even countered. Well, um, eventually, I guess his persistence paid off because someone hit that bin. So, you know, maybe he's doing it right. Maybe I'm doing this wrong. Um, another copy showed up on ComC via Breakers Row, and it was a PSA 8, which, you know, that doesn't bother me. Um, I, I would have probably just cracked it out anyway, but they were wanting $125 for it. Well, I wouldn't pay $65 for a raw, so I definitely wasn't going to do that. So that left me no choice but to wait and wait and wait some more until uh, one finally showed up on eBay a week or two ago. And I had it in my saved searches, but I stumbled upon it before I even got the notification, which I don't know if I did. I don't know if it even worked. Um, But either way, I found it manually first. That could be the sign of a problem. Um, But this thing showed up for $50 or best offer. And when I saw that, I knew I should probably just hit the bin. And I even messaged Vintage Pacers and said, you know, I basically, hey, look at this stupid thing that I'm doing. Here's a card that I need to finish off a set. Um, I'm going to send an offer. And of course he told me, yeah, you know, you might want to hit the bin on that, which was good advice. But uh, this is something I always struggle with though, because if you get everything you buy for marginally less, you know, even a small amount, that adds up quite a bit over time. So I decided, you know what, I'll put in a $35 offer on it. Um, not expecting to get it for 35. And then if I don't get a counter in the next 30 minutes, I'll hit the bin. And in this case, it worked out. I got a $40 counter and it ended up costing about $48 after shipping taxes and fees, all that fun stuff. But it feels really good to get that 2003 set out of the way. Uh, If I remember, I'll try and post that up on social media, the Jermaine O'Neal card at least. 
Um, if not, I've already posted a video of the complete set on my YouTube channel. That one released on Wednesday. So you'll want to make sure to check that out if you haven't already. Um, another card that I got in that made its way into that same YouTube video was a 2013-2014 Panini National Treasures Spanning Time Dual Signatures card of Roy Hibbert and Mel Daniels, number to 49. I know some of you are probably saying, who's Mel Daniels? Um, look him up. Hall of Famer. Played for the Pacers. You know, played in the ABA. Um, I've talked to some of his friends on this show. Slick Leonard was his coach and friend. Bob Nedelecki was one of his best friends. Anyway, um, so Mel Daniels. Um, this card is a great example of how my philosophy of collecting autographs has changed quite a bit over the years. Because by the time this card had come out in 2014... I'd already gotten Roy Hibbert's autograph in person several times, including a, a weird but memorable encounter where he, he signed the cover of my binder instead of a card that I had out and ready. Um, to add to the weirdness, I was wearing a Roy Hibbert jersey when this happened. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I don't feel like he owed me anything. I'm not entitled to something because I buy your jersey. I Just the whole thing was weird. It was a very weird encounter compared to what I'd had with him before. Um... And then I'd already gotten Mel Daniels' autograph through the mail multiple times as well um, on cards that I handpicked and felt were significant. So that we're talking cards like his 71 rookie, um, his 71 trio, some of his 72 trios, his 72 tops base card for my set, and so on. So, you know, then everything else of these two players that came up, came up for sale around this time, as far as autographs go, was secondary to me. Because why would I allocate hobby funds on sticker autos of these guys when I already had on-card autos that I had handpicked for my collection. Um, and on top of that, Mel Daniels was still accessible through the mail for the low price of two postage stamps. Well, um, things have changed quite a bit since 2014. Roy Hibbert's retired. Uh, Mel Daniels passed away in 2015. And, um, you know, I thought since he was signing stickers that they'd be putting him in a lot of products. And that wasn't the case at all. He has very few certified autographs um and then panini in general has moved away from some of the more thoughtful sets like this and ju just a side note here i you know if they still have mel daniels stickers just laying around somewhere i would love it if we could get like a, a mel daniels roy hibbert rick smith's miles turner quad maybe when they're when panini is passing the torch maybe we'll get something like that but i'm not super confident in that but um, anyway, as far as this particular dual card, I'd had it on my radar for a little while now, and it wasn't showing up anywhere. Um, you know, I wouldn't, maybe I missed some copies. I wouldn't say I was searching super hard, but I definitely wanted a copy. Well, um, I opened up the Twitter app a couple weeks ago, and a listener named James um, had tagged me in a sale post that included one. And shout out to James, by the way. He sent me a nice dual uh, Lance Stevenson rookie patch this week. Uh, it was nice to add that to the Lance PC. So thanks again to James for that. And thanks for tagging me in this sell because the seller and I were able to agree on a, a price pretty quick. Um, like I mentioned earlier, my, my outlook on collecting has changed some over the years. I wasn't a big certified auto guy because I, I was getting a lot of cards signed myself, be it in person or, you know, through the mail. Now I'm trying to go back and pick up on some of the cards I, you know, I overlooked or sets that I took for granted. This is one of them. And you know what? I know they also made a dual sticker auto uh, with George McGinnis and Tyler Hansborough. And I always thought that card was really ugly. Um, and, you know, it still is. It hasn't changed. It's still ugly. It's a silver card with stickers on top. One of the stickers is blue. One of the stickers is black. 
Um, you know what, but who knows? I might try and track one down now too if the price is right. There's one on ComC for like $25. That price is not right. But, um, you know, I'd prefer that over some of the other stuff that's coming out. So maybe I will grab that at some point. Okay, the last card I want to talk about today is a 2009-2010 Panini Certified Fabric of the Game Team Die Cut Prime Relic of Jeff Foster. Um, that's, a, you know, a fancy way of saying it's a jumbo patch number to 10. And um, I think there are something like eight different relic configurations for this card, ranging from plain jersey swatches and small windows to jumbo prime pieces with uh, different designs of windows, like a cutout of the player's jersey number or team name, which is the one I have here. And I have a lot of the other configurations, but this is one that I still needed. Apparently someone else did too, because it went for quadruple what I thought it would. Um, but you know what? I had the bid in, so I was willing to pay higher. And um, there's not a lot of Jumbo Jeff Foster relics out there, so it was worth it to me. Now, I posted another Jeff Foster card on Twitter this week, and a collector named John asked me, you know, why do you collect Jeff Foster? Which is a good question. So um, I figure I might as well answer that here as well. It really boils down to this. He wasn't a big-name player, but um, he was with the team for 13 seasons. And he's actually fourth all-time in games played for the Pacers, you know, you might guess some of the other ones. Reggie Miller, Rick Smith, probably wouldn't guess Vern Fleming. I know I didn't either. But um, Jeff Foster was more or less part of three or four different iterations of the Pacers. He was with the team that went to the finals in 2000, although he didn't dress. Um, he was with the early 2000s Pacers that looked poised for a title run. And, um, you know, the brawl era. He was part of a young emerging team that made a run against a really good Chicago team in the playoffs around 2010. And um, then he ended his career with a very good Pacers squad that went 42-24 and 24 and lost to the Heat in the Eastern Conference semifinals. All different versions of the team. And those teams all had very different identities, but in a way he helped link all of them together. And I really like continuity. So um, thanks again to John for asking that question. I believe his social media handle is the Big Aristotle. Um, and I, I know he's recently started a Corliss Williamson collection. Big nasty, right? Corliss Williamson. So uh, it's been a while since I heard that name. And I, yes, he was part of that Piston squad that I hated so much in 2004. But um, you know what? I like Johnny. He's a good guy. So you might dig through your stuff to see if you have anything for him. Let's see if we can help John out. Hey, collectors. My name is Shay, and you can find me on Instagram at Wolf's Collector NBA. I'm looking for a 1999-2000 Finest Double Feature Dual Refractors featuring Kevin Garnett and Joe Smith. After accidentally uh, finding out that I had both the left and right refractors, uh, I'd really like to complete the set. Thank you, and thanks, Kyle, at uh, Wax Museum, for having me on. Just to elaborate a little on what Shay was talking about there, back in 1999, Topps Finest had a horizontal set that had a player on each side. Um, and there were multiple variations, one where only the left side had a refractor, one where the right side did, and then one where both sides did. And I can't think of any other instance where they did something like this again. Um, there might be, actually, there might be a USA set. Maybe that, maybe that's even the same set or the same, you know, time frame there. Um, I just don't know if there is or not. But Beckett says the odds for these was one in every 78 packs. And from what I understand, they weren't super popular when they came out. But like all things 90s, interest has picked up a little bit over time. Compared to other hits from the era, though, they're still relatively cheap. So if you've got one of these Garnett-Smith duels, feel free to reach out either to Shea directly uh, or reach out to me and I'll make sure to pass the message along. All right, 
Before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo, and now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so sometime toward the end of last year, I think it was episode 148, I talked about my hobby-related goals for 2022, and we're getting close to the halfway point, so as I mentioned earlier, I thought it'd be a good time to check in on my progress, because I haven't really been keeping track anywhere, so sometimes it's good to just pause and assess. And piecing this segment together was good for me because it forced me to go back and look at those notes and kind of think about the track that I'm on right now. And for the most part, I was able to group these goals into three main categories. Hobby experiences, buying and selling cards, and content creation. So I figured the best way to tackle them would be to examine them in that order. So hobby experiences. Um, And this is a category, you know, when I was setting my goals, I couldn't be super specific on it because I didn't know what the end product would look like. So, you know, instead of trying to really nail that down, I committed myself to finding new ways to stretch myself and immerse myself in the hobby. Um, I talked about how I submitted some cards to PSA at the end of 2020 and really enjoyed getting those back. You know, that's a lot harder to do now, but I did submit a couple cards a few months ago that I hope to get back soon. Um, that's not necessarily something new, but it still feels, you know, kind of feels that way to me because I, I haven't done it a lot. I haven't entirely jumped into the whole grading scene, uh, you know, and, and I'm not anti-grading. I've talked about this before, but in most cases, it just doesn't make sense for my collection. I've also been toying with the idea, though, of sending some of my 57 tops cards into SGC. Um, you know, that'll happen at some point. I just don't want to spend all my money on grading before I go to a couple bigger shows this summer. But, um, you know, continuing with hobby experiences, I know I talked with Owen a while back about trying different hobby apps like Whatnot and Panini Dunk. Uh, I still haven't made my way over to Whatnot. You know, I think I'm just assuming it's going to be chock full of of shiny stuff that I really don't want, but I should probably get on there and check it for myself, you know, maybe this summer. I did, however, spend time on the Dunk app. That's what I talked about in in, um, an episode with Owen. I liked it. I still haven't used it a lot. You know, I've had a couple people reach out to me and send me some Pacers cards to help me get started. So um, that was nice. So these are some ways that I've I've tried to branch out a little bit. Um, Although, you know what, I'll tell you what, the eBay app for me is still more entertaining than Panini Dunk. But uh, on the flip side, Panini Dunk's a lot cheaper. Um, All in all, though, I feel like I've been pretty immersed in the hobby. You know, not necessarily in a way that's much different than I normally would be. That doesn't mean I need to, you know, radically change my experience. I enjoy a lot of it as is, but at the same time, I I think it would be a good idea to be receptive to new experiences. Um, And that's where some of you might come in. You know, I've made some progress on this goal of hobby experiences so far, but maybe you have some things that you think I should try that would benefit my collecting experience, um, you know, or maybe something that would give me much needed perspective. Um, Just like I said back then, I'm all ears. Feel free to reach out to me if something comes to mind. 
Um, all right, so some of the other experiences I talked about revolved around buying and selling. So I'm going to go ahead and move into that portion now and kind of reflect on um, what that's looked like this last year. Um, one thing I discussed in that you know, 148 episode was lot hunting, primarily on eBay. And you guys know that I've done a lot of online lot hunting. Um, that even led to a, a deal in a Starbucks parking lot at one point, which was also a new experience for me when it comes to sports cards. Um, I mentioned that I'd like to find another real tough 90s card in a lot sometime this year, which I haven't. Uh, I wouldn't say I've found anything really tough just yet. I did find a 96-97 credentials of Walt Williams in a $13 lot. Um, you know, that's not huge, but those things do add up. So that is nice. Uh, I, now, I will say, though, this isn't basketball related, but I was winning a sealed box of 1995 um, Fleer, Metal, Marvel, or however you want to phrase that. Um, for like $10 with two minutes left. And I thought I was going to have a major steal with that one. You know, it was mixed in with like Pocahontas cards and Lion King cards, but then a couple other people must've stumbled onto that one. And I, and I was outbid at the end, you know, that would have been one of my biggest finds ever, but otherwise I haven't had a lot of time for that lately. Um, I've been studying for a certification test for work among other things. So I should be able to dive more into that this summer. In the meantime, I'll keep growing my show inventory with smaller lots. Um, but the lot hunting, you know, it's still happening. Um, now, speaking of card shows, in that original goal episode, I expressed a desire to attend several shows that I've never been to before. And so far, there's been one new show in Florida that I've attended where I, I picked up a, another beat-up Dr. J rookie, so that was a success. And then, of course, I have my two trips this summer. I have the Midwest Monster Show in uh, Fishers, Indiana in June, and I've got the Dallas Show in July. And uh, both of those trips are already booked, and I'm pretty excited about that. Those weren't in the plans when I originally made my goals. You know, I thought I was going to the National, but I'm really satisfied with the way that everything's worked out so far. Uh, in addition to attending shows, I wanted to try and set up at a show that I hadn't done before. Well, I knocked that out in January. If you'll remember, I think I even mentioned it at that episode. When I made that episode, right at the very end, I said, I'm going to text someone that I know runs this local show. I'm going to try that one. Well, um, I've set up there twice now, and uh, it's gone really well for me. Um, you know, it's just it's a small one-day show. I've talked about it here before, but uh, it works well for me. There's another newer show that's almost two hours away from me that some friends have been trying to get me to set up at. I'm not sure if I want to make that drive, but it might be something I consider this summer if the timing is right. Another buying and selling opportunity I've tried to take advantage of is ComC. You know, you guys have heard me talk about that before, and seeing as they are a sponsor of this show, I want to remind you that ComC.com is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later, which is what I do, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC Marketplace, which is also what I do. Uh, for more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckOutMyCards. Now, as I mentioned last week, ComC is not new to me, but I am a little more motivated to sell there this year now that I'm not setting up at as many shows. Um, and I usually only send about 100 cards a year. I know, you know, people, just because I talk about ComC a lot, people think that I'm sending just huge amounts of cards there. I just like to send a batch in and then kind of use that to um, generate revenue, to kind of move stuff on the site and, and keep that cycle going on the site. So I've already sent my 100 in this year. 
I did that when they uh, they ran a submission promo, but I saw they're accepting drop-off submissions in Dallas this summer. So you know what? I've, I've got more cards sitting here in a box. I'm going to Dallas. They're going to be there. Sounds like it all makes sense. So I think I'm going to try and take advantage of that. Um, and then, you know, I would encourage you to take advantage of that site in whatever way suits you as well. Um, you know, for me, that's been picking up nice PC cards, which transitions me to my next point here. Speaking of PC cards, um, you know, one of my goals that dealt with acquiring cards for my own collection, because, you know, that's, that's what we do in this hobby. That's a big part of my hobby goals. Um, and I've tried to use my PC pyramid to stay somewhat focused. And that consists mainly of rare Pacers patches, NBA finals relics, like that Shaq Larry O'Brien trophy that I got. Um, Hall of Fame relics and historical relics. And anytime I can find something that fits into more than one of those categories, that's a win for me. Um, and I document a lot of my pickups as part of this show, so I'm not going to go through all the cards that I've found, uh, but I feel like I've done a pretty good job of staying in those parameters. Now, one thing specifically I wanted was one of the um, Tops 2005 Tops Big Game Jumbo patches of the Pacers. I uh, haven't found one of those, not for lack of trying. It's just they don't surface. I haven't seen a single one, um, you know, since sometime, maybe last year, maybe even the year before. Um, they're, but they're super nostalgic for me, so I'm still looking. Um, I'd like to modify my pyramid a bit now to include more 50s and 60s stuff. You might remember when Alex came on, we talked about how his pyramids changed a little bit. Mine is as well, and I, I think that's a good thing. I think your pyramid should evolve over time with your collecting interest. Um you know, that doesn't mean that the categories have to change necessarily because a lot of that is historic and a lot of it revolves around Hall of Famers. But for me, I'd like to be a little more intentional about 50s and 60s guys. And uh, I've been shopping more for guys like Dolph Shays and Bob Pettit, to name a few. And then additionally, I'd like to make some more progress on my 57 top set. So I don't think I've added any cards to that yet this year, um, including a very specific card that's in that set that I've talked about which was a Bill Russell rookie. And I thought I was going to make a good run at one in 2021. That didn't happen. Prices shot up then. Prices have shot up even more now. And I'd kind of ruled it out for the time being. Uh, even though it's something I really wanted, you know, I don't, I don't feel like you have to kill yourself or exhaust all of your PC just to get something that you really want. You know, you, you just have to weigh what's important to you. Um, so anyway, I'd kind of ruled it out. But then there are, there's some developments in the past week, not necessarily with Russell, but with another card that I owned, um, which I, you know, I've talked about it. I found a Barry Sanders Playmakers Theater in a lot. I guess it's been a couple years ago now. And um, two of those showed up on eBay this week. One was a BGS 8.5. The other, I think, was a PSA 7. And they they sold for a generous amount. And, um, you know, I mine's at PSA right now. It's one of the cards that I mentioned earlier. And I think it's going to grade a seven or seven or an eight, but it could cover a very good portion of that Russell. So now it's got me thinking again, uh, and I'm going to keep an eye out for one of those at whatever shows I'm at this summer. If I can get the Barry Sanders back from PSA and, and you know swap that, maybe add another card to it, uh, that would be ideal. You know, I still don't think it's likely to happen, but I feel a little more optimistic about it than I did a week or two ago because those Barry Sanders eBay sales really surprised me. Okay, uh, the last portion of my hobby goals revolve around content creation. And I've been trying to mix in more conversations with people that you might not have heard before 
in addition to guests that I've wanted to chat with again, you know, you've got Alex and, and Steve and those guys that are, are my, you know, they're my guys. I got to bring them on. But I also want to try some different stuff. I'm trying to bring in a behavioral psychologist um, who wrote about collecting. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I've had the questions ready for a while now. Reached out to her on her website, so I'll, I'll probably try again soon. But, um, you know, I'd love to, to track down more people in the industry, especially people that worked in the industry pre-Panini. That's going to take some more digging, though. So, um, you know, just stay tuned. I'll, I'll see what I can do here. Um, another component of hobby content that I, I talked about in December when I was setting my goals um, dealt with sponsorship. You know, I've talked about how I want to keep this show free. And as a result, I've, I've worked to add a few sponsored. We had uh, Manscaped earlier this year, and that was fun to say the least. Uh, I've renewed with Greg Moore several times, which, uh, you know, I've had a good relationship with them. And, and by the way, if you're not following them on social media, I would suggest doing so. They've had some quick little videos lately uh, with with hobby history and uh, iconic sets that um, I think are good for providing context for the hobby, even if it's not basketball. They had the one that talked about um, signing athletes for 1952 tops and how they were kind of competing with Bowman at the time. So that was a really interesting post. So you'll want to check that out if you haven't, though. Um, And then, of course, I've got my recent sponsorship with ComC. And I like having both of those platforms on board because I feel like they both have something unique to offer. Yes, they both sell cards, but the experiences are vastly different and in a good way. Okay, Uh, the last component of content creation I want to focus on was using this platform to help other collectors grow their collections. And I hope that me sharing my experiences does that already, but I wanted to be more intentional about it and introduce more people to the collecting community at large. So that's why I started the Collector Classified segment. And I know we've had some successes with that so far. Um, You know, I've really enjoyed hearing from people I've never heard from before. And I think there are some ways I could probably streamline this and make it better. For example, I've had a couple people reach out and ask if I could share the list of collectors and what they're looking for. Um, I've tried to post it on Instagram Um, I feel like there's got to be a better way. I've thought about putting it on the website. I don't know if people would go there. You know, maybe you can reach out and and let me know. What do you think I could do to to make collector classifieds even better? I'm probably missing out on something super obvious. You know, feel free to reach out. All right, as I wrap things up today, I imagine a lot of you are in professions that involve goals in some capacity. And knowing how to assess your goals is important. So what I'm doing today is a little less formal, as it should be. Because when it comes to the hobby, you know, we're all in this for different reasons, but it's still a hobby. So all progress should be measured with that in mind. Am I putting myself in a position to enjoy this hobby? Yes or no? Uh, do I have to meet every goal to a T? No, absolutely not. For example, if I don't get a Bill Russell rookie by the end of the year, it's not the end of the world. Or if I don't add any other major cards on my pyramid, I've got plenty of other ways I can enjoy the hobby. So hopefully this whole process and this whole exercise and and revisiting this exercise gives you a reference point for what I value in the hobby and what I think will help you enjoy the hobby the most. And, you know, if you're interested in a similar exercise, I would encourage you to piece something together like that on your own. All right, well, there you have it. Maybe you're making great progress on your goals that you set at the start of the year. Maybe you've had a change in plans Or maybe you didn't set any goals at all and you've decided to start now. That's fine. It doesn't have to happen just in January. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. Um, You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Thank you.